Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. I'm glad you're here with us today. You know, this is such a wonderful time to be alive. We have so many sources for help and learning all around us. I mean, how wonderful is it to go out for a walk or run and plug into uplifting podcasts that can help you think and feel better about life? It's incredible the gifts we have in our life today. Now, this isn't the only uplifting podcast out there. There are so many talented people giving up their knowledge and perspective and personal light through podcasts, and I am so grateful to them. My life's better because of them. Our mission here is to help listeners get a new perspective, fresh paradigms, and tools to think and live differently. And you can help us fulfill that mission when you share this podcast with a friend. So, as you listen today, if you think of someone who could benefit from this message, please share the link to this podcast with them, and that will help us continue to do some good. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about bringing light into your life. Joan Hetzler was giving birth to her fifth child, and there was little to worry about because her husband, John, was an obstetrician and was in the delivery room with the doctor and two nurses helping with the birth. And everything was going well until the moment when a quiet, unassuming midwife came into the room and without saying a word, saved Joan's life. The midwife was Joan's grandmother, Johanna O'Hanlon. Now, when Grandma Johanna was a young woman, she and her brothers came to the United States from Ireland. And after arriving in the U.S., she lived with her uncle on a farm in Sterling, Illinois, for a time until she and her new husband could complete a home to live in. And not long after moving into that home, she gave birth to a son. But he only lived six months, dying from pneumonia. Soon, a second child, a daughter, was born, and her name was Marie. And not long after Marie was born, Johanna's husband passed away. And needing to support herself and family, Joanna became a midwife. And the job seemed like a natural for Joanna. She was a giving person, always helpful, persistently optimistic, and she just had a light about her that everyone loved. She just seemed to shine in goodness. Well, as a midwife, she would stay with the families for up to six weeks after a birth, and during these stays, she would take Marie with her. And Marie seemed to inherit the same giving disposition as her mother, full of kindness and light. Well, Grandma O'Hanlon loved not only to help with birthing and new babies, but also shared her light with other people all the time. Grandma rode the train into the city and got off near Madison Avenue. And in those days, there were many homeless men on the streets, and she always had something for them. Her friends thought she was foolish to give away money to the homeless because they would often use it to buy alcohol. But Grandma simply said that she did what God would want her to do, and what the men did with the money was up to them. Well, Marie's daughter Joan's fifth pregnancy had proceeded uneventfully, and the day had come to go to the hospital and deliver the baby. And in the delivery room, there was a flurry of activity. And because John was the doctor at the hospital, everyone was working hard to make sure that the delivery went smoothly. And John did his best to stand aside and play the role of husband and father and not that of doctor. Well, everything went well, and Joan delivered a healthy baby 
without anesthesia or pain medication. And after the delivery, as the doctor was checking the uterus to make sure that no part of the placenta was remaining, Joan began to experience considerable pain. And to lessen her pain during the procedure, the attending physician suggested that she be given a drug which is administered by mask to induce a deep sleep. Joan hesitated to accept it because she didn't want to become unconscious, but she finally agreed. Well, let me use the words of her husband, John, to tell you the rest of the story. As the nurse was about to put the mask over her face, Joan looked up and saw Grandma O'Hanlon, who had just come into the room and stood at the foot of the bed. She was dressed in her typical blue dress with tiny white polka dots and a gray knit sweater vest. Her hair was white and put up in a bun on the top of her head. She didn't say a word, but stood there, shaking her head sideways with her arm on her hip and a look of displeasure on her face. Well, Joan realized immediately that her beloved grandmother did not want her to accept the anesthetic, so she pushed the mask away. Now, no one remembered that Joan had eaten a large meal before she went into labor, and two minutes after refusing the anesthesia, which would have put her into a deep sleep, she suddenly vomited the large meal. And had the mask been on her face, she could easily have choked and aspirated into her lungs, which would have killed her. Grandma O'Hanlon, without saying a word, slipped out of the delivery room as quickly as she arrived, her mission complete, her presence unnoticed by anyone else in the room. Now, here's what makes this somewhat ordinary story so extraordinary. Grandma O'Hanlon had died 22 years before. Now, no doubt in your life, you've come to know someone like Grandma O'Hanlon, someone who's filled with light, who sparkles, who goes about doing good and seems to radiate goodness. And if someone were to return from heaven to aid or assist you, it would likely be that person who was full of light someone like Grandma O'Hanlon. Do you think it's true that some people are filled with light more than others? I do. And here's why I do. Because I've met people who are filled with light, and I've met people who are not filled with light, and there is a distinct and discernible difference. And some of you may even be able to recall times in your life when you've been filled with more light than at other times. I have. It's a noticeable thing, whether you feel full of light in your life, or feel darkness inside, you notice. And the funny thing about light is that it can push out. It can control the darkness. One author wrote, Light and darkness cannot occupy the same space at the same time. Light dispels darkness. And when light is present, darkness is vanquished and must depart. More important, darkness cannot conquer light unless the light is diminished or departs. In other words, when our minds and lives are filled with light, there is no room for darkness. You know, recent science has shown that our bodies do have a bioluminescence, and that light varies from person to person. But the light I'm talking about is the mixture between body and soul and personality and self and belief and goodness. It's the light that we emanate by our intentions and our feelings and our behavior. And I believe that your light is correlated with goodness. In October of 2000, two friends of ours were flying from Taipei, Taiwan to the United States. And on the day prior to their departure, they learned a major typhoon, a hurricane, would be hitting Taiwan. 
And while nervous to be departing during the typhoon, they were happy to know they were flying Singapore Airlines, one of the safest airlines in the Far East, and flying aboard a Boeing 747. Now, while a 747 usually holds about 400 passengers, on this day, because of the typhoon, there were only 179 people on board. My friends were seated in the back of the plane. The captain of the flight was Fu Chi Kong, an experienced pilot with more than 11,000 hours and 2,000 of those hours in the 747. And his first officer had 2,400 hours and the relief pilot had 5,400 hours. So they were experienced. But even though there were high winds and heavy rain at 11.15 p.m., traffic control cleared the airplane to take off via runway 5L. But unknowingly, the crew turned and started their takeoff on runway 5R. They had correctly repeated the tower's instructions and confirmed takeoff on runway 5L, but they turned too early onto 5R, thinking it was 5L. But runway 5R was under repair. Now, the airport was not equipped with ground radar, which allows the controllers to monitor the movement of the aircraft on the ground. And due to the poor visibility, the crew did not see the construction equipment, including excavators, rollers, a bulldozer, and a crane, which were parked on runway 5R. Well, after clearance and a six-second pause, the pilot engaged the full force of the engines to gain the necessary 180 miles per hour to take off in a heavy rainstorm. For 41 seconds, the aircraft sped down the runway, reaching the 180 miles an hour. And just as the plane was lifting off the ground, it collided with the machinery on the runway and was ripped into pieces. The nose of the plane struck a scoop loader. The left wing was torn away by a crane, which forced the jet sideways, slamming it to the ground. The rear section of the fuselage broke away and rolled and slid down the runway. When the plane struck the construction equipment, the fuel stored in the wings exploded, sending balls of fire through the midsection of the plane. Immediately, 64 of the 76 passengers in that section burned to death. Most of the passengers in business class on the lower deck died from impact, and on the upper deck, 12 of the 19 passengers and one flight attendant died from smoke inhalation from the fire below. Later, their bodies would be found in and above the stairwell where they were trying to find an exit. All passengers seated in the rear section of the aircraft survived, including our friends, because the rear section of the plane broke off from the rest of the aircraft. Aboard the plane that day were 47 Americans. Among the most notable passengers was John Diaz, the vice president of mp3.com, who later appeared on the Oprah Winfrey show. During that interview with Oprah, John said that after the impact of the plane, as he stood to exit the aircraft, there was all this spray of jet fuel, which was like napalm, and whatever it hit, it ignited like a torch. Inside the aircraft, it looked like Dante's Inferno with people strapped to their seats and just burning. And it seemed to look like an aura was leaving their bodies, and some of those people were brighter than others. Well, after witnessing this horrific scene, John says he walked away with a new sense of spirituality. I believe life continues on, he said. And I thought, you know, the brightness and dimness of the auras were how one lives one's life, so to speak. And I want to live my life, so my aura 
when it leaves is very bright. Well, we all have a measure of light within us. And the interesting thing is this. When, like Grandma Joanna, we seek to share that light, we can give light to others. It's true that a large source of light in our life can come from others. And here's something else I believe. When you begin to notice the light in your life, in yourself, in your soul, you feel attracted to it. You feel a desire to gather more light. And I do believe in life that light can grow brighter and brighter until we shine. Now, light does more than make things brighter. Light enlightens, inspires, and quickens. Light, in our day and age, helps things move faster and better. For example, it's likely you get your internet through a fiber optic cable. Optic cables are very thin strands of glass or plastic, less than one-tenth of the thickness of a human hair. And these fibers are wrapped in cladding that causes light to bounce off the walls of the cable in a zigzag pattern for a very long distance. So, to transmit data, fiber optic cables contain dozens of strands of fiber and transmit data that's converted to pulses of light. And fiber optic cables are 20 times faster at communicating data than regular cables. Likewise, when we are filled with light, we are quickened. Now, the definition of quicken is to make faster. In the Bible, quicken means to make alive. And I know I have more ideas, more inspiration, more ability to forgive, to be patient, a stronger sense of purpose in my life, and more discipline when I have light in my life. So, if all of this is true, then how do you fill your life with a bit more light and be a source of light for others? Well, the first and most powerful way is to be believing. You know, 17 years ago, I was partway through a doctorate degree and facing the hardest part of any PhD program, my dissertation. Now, a dissertation is the culmination of your doctorate studies. It's a deeper exploration of a research topic that starts to frame your life's work. And it's really quite difficult to decide the topic about which you will spend the next two years of your life researching, studying, and publishing. I mean, if I asked you today, for the next two years, you will spend 30 to 40 hours a week delving into a topic, what topic would you choose? And this topic can't be something already studied. You have to find your niche, something unique that has not been researched before. What would you choose? Well, after some work, I decided I wanted to know how people who had light, who had self-efficacy and were highly actualized, who had the innate desire and capability to help others, how they came to be. How did they possess that light, so to speak? And while there were several variables that contributed, one significant factor was their belief window, the way they viewed themselves, the world, and their place in it. Your belief window is how you choose to perceive the world around you. And we perceive the world through our beliefs, like colored glasses that we wear without knowing it. We approach each day guided largely by these beliefs, the color of our glasses. And if you believe that today is going to be an awesome day, your belief window will look for evidence that confirms that belief. And on the contrary, if you're expecting a bad day, 
your belief window will seek for evidence that confirms that belief. Well, in our research, we saw over and over again that people who possessed a belief window in which they genuinely believed that regardless of current circumstances, they could prevail, that the polarities of life, that the complexities that they faced would, in the end, turn to their good. And it was this belief window that allowed them to fill their life with even more positive belief. And this was a great revelation to me. The way we shape and form and construct our belief window became a wonder, an obsession for me. And even today, I learn more and more about it all the time. And each time, it fascinates me. And all of this could lead us to the conclusion that to fill your life with light, we must be believing. As the scripture says, doubt not, but be believing. A believing person just has less doubt placed on their view of the world. It isn't that they're just optimistic. They're believing, and there's a significant difference. To believe means that while it may not be true today, it can be tomorrow. To believe means that you have faith in others, in their ability to grow, and in their potential. To be believing means you can endure current circumstances because there are lighter, brighter days coming. And what I've noticed is that people who are believing, if they maintain this window or view in life, over time, it becomes a life force for them and for those around them. They become a light. And when you interact with these believers, they naturally shine light on the dark road ahead. And after interacting with them, you can see more of who you are and where you can go. In my dissertation research, one study participant spoke about how she put belief on her belief window. She said, when I was 17, we put on a play in our school. Playing a role in that play was something I didn't think I could do. But with the encouragement of others, I did it. And it was like an awakening to me. You know, I kind of woke up and said, hey, I have a talent here in an area that I didn't know. And maybe I'm capable of things I didn't know I was capable of. And I started to believe I could become someone I didn't know I could become. Be believing. When I have this type of belief on my belief window, I see reasons why I can, not the reasons why I can't. And this light, this belief is infectious. In 2005, Bob Iger became CEO of Disney. Now, Disney animation at the time was faltering in their abilities, and also the contract with Pixar that they had had was about to elapse. So Iger thought the fastest way to get on track with their animation and to resolve the contract was to buy Pixar. But he knew he had to convince Steve Jobs, who was the largest shareholder of Pixar, and he was nervous. But he told Jobs, Steve, I've got a crazy idea. So they got together to talk about it. And the two of them met and they stood at a whiteboard and made a list of pros and cons of Disney buying and merging with Pixar. As Iger tells it, there was a long list of cons, like Disney's culture will harm Pixar and the distraction of the purchase will kill Pixar's creativity. And the list of cons was extensive, numbering several dozen. On the opposite side of the board, they only had a few pros. Well, when they were done, here's what Steve Jobs said. A few solid pros are more powerful than dozens of cons. 
And this started a chain reaction of events. Iger visited Pixar and was inspired. It took convincing of Disney's board and several other major obstacles that needed to be overcome. But eventually, Disney bought Pixar for $7.4 billion. And it has been one of the best things to happen to Disney. You know, I think Steve Jobs was right. A few pros are more powerful than even dozens of cons. That's what it means to be believing, to see the good in people, in things, in life, in yourself. And even if there are lots of reasons not to believe, if you choose to be believing in things and others and yourself, watch life change. And I believe you and I were meant to be a light, to see the good, the potential in other people. And this, perhaps above all else, may be our calling in life. And while we're on the topic, I also believe you were meant to be a light to others. I believe your life, your time on this earth, is largely meant to be one of giving of what is unique and special about you to those around you. You have so much to give. Be believing that you are here for a purpose. You know, the scripture says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, and neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but they put it on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all those that are in the house. In other words, you can't cover light because you were meant to give light to others. Your light is meant to shine. The scripture continues, So let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works. Why? Because you are a light in this world, and people need what you have to offer. You have so much goodness and power to influence others. So be believing. Now, Next, to bring more light into your life, get significantly more verbal about what you love in life. I've noticed people who have light spend more time talking about what they love and less time talking about what they don't. What we talk about sets our intention. You know, when we vocalize our loves, for whatever reason, they stay with us and they stay with those around us. Research has shown that most of us have a negative bias. And language is the strongest purveyor of negativity. When you think negative thoughts, it affects your mind. But when you verbalize negative thoughts, they linger far longer and have a more profound impact on your psyche. The opposite is also true. So as you go about your day, you may love a song on your phone or the attitude of your daughter or the place you live and a host of other things. Verbalize these loves. And watch the light that gathers to your soul. And watch the light you share with others. This is why research shows that journaling positive thoughts works as intervention. Because you are verbalizing what you love. Next, to bring more light into your life, put an activity you love in your life every day. You know, too often we let days go by without doing something we love. And it may be simple things. Perhaps you love to walk or laugh or think creatively or read or meet someone new. Whatever it is, do it every day. It will bring light to you. Now remember, there is also darkness. There's darkness in all our lives. Ogmandino wrote, I will love the light, for it shows me the way. 
Yet, I will endure the darkness, for it shows me the stars. Darkness can show us the contrast between light and darkness and help us seek light in our life. But there is darkness. And I'm talking about enslaving habits, hate, criticism, and doubt that brings darkness into our lives. I've learned that addiction thrives in the darkness. That's why we talk about the dark side of addiction. Doubt thrives in the darkness. Sadness expands in the darkness. And I suspect you can relate to the feeling of being in the dark at times. We all can. But the moment, the moment you begin being completely honest, the second you give way to faith, the exact time you begin to try, even if you're trying again to set aside that weakness or do what you've tried dozens of times before, you let light into your life and you will begin to feel brighter and we all can travel from dark to light. Now, whether you're a Bible reader or not, you can relate to the fact that in Genesis, as God is going about creating this earth and the universe in which we live, the first thing he did was separate the light from the darkness. And I believe he did this for several reasons. The first of which is things grow and evolve and prosper in the light. And he needed to introduce light so growth could start because growth only happens in the light. Now, perhaps there are those listening today who feel trapped in darkness, in an addiction or a bad habit of thinking negatively, or you've lost a bit of that light of hope. Well, my experience is if you hold on to the light and begin to seek to fill your life with light, you will soon leave part of that darkness behind and you'll be on the path to brighter days. The truth is, you and I were not meant to walk in darkness. As the famous song says, if you feel trapped inside a never-ending night, if you've forgotten how it feels to feel the light, if you're half crazy thinking you're the only one who's afraid the light will never really come, just hold on, hold on, the light will come. Next, to be a light to others, stop worrying about how much light is shining on you. Use your light to shine on others. As the author said, stars don't shine because they want to be seen. They shine because they are stars. You and I can exert our influence for good in the lives of those around us. Our actions, words, thoughts, and light can positively affect other people. And this is an awesome prospect. When we contemplate the power we have for perpetrating good in the lives of others, we have good reason to seek to be a light. Last, to bring light into your life, you need to be grounded in the source of light. So put your anchor in the right place. You know, several years ago, Mary went to the surgeon for routine ankle surgery, and she was given general anesthesia and went to sleep. The doctors went to administer an antibiotic intravenously. As they did, Mary arrested her heart monitor showed a flat line, and the doctor immediately called a code blue. The operating room and the attending nurses and doctors went into action. The scrub nurse started CPR, but Mary was over 300 pounds, and the nurse was not tall enough to do the compressions adequately. So an OR technician with striking red hair rushed into the room and took over. And the red hair tech was a young and inexperienced technician, 
and was not doing the compressions well enough to generate a pulse. So the doctor told him to step aside. But the tech didn't move. The doctor asked him again. He didn't move. Well, the doctor still couldn't fill a pulse, so in the heat of the moment, he elbowed the tech out of the way. And the red-headed tech stumbled as the doctor gave him a push. Then the doctor forcefully began doing compressions, so much so that he felt her sternum and rib crack. Well, after a minute or two, cardiac meds were given to Mary, and she regained a heartbeat. Soon, she started to breathe on her own. She didn't regain consciousness until later when she was transferred to the ICU. Cardiologists took over there, and tests showed that it was a reaction to the antibiotic that caused her arrest. Well, it took several days for Mary to recover, but she eventually did. And at the end of her days in the hospital, prior to her discharge, her doctor, who is the author of this story, visited her to give her some final instructions to care for her ankle. The doctor said that Mary had always been a bit of a negative person. She often had a dark mood about her, and he fully expected Mary to blame him as the cause of her arrest. But as he spoke with her that day, she was so sweet and pleasant, she had a light about her. Well, before he could speak, she softly and genuinely said, thank you for saving my life. The doctor was a bit caught off guard and sat down. She wasn't the same person he had operated on days earlier. Well, he told Mary, well, thank you, but it was a team effort. No, she said, I know it was you. I watched you from above the operating room. When my heart stopped, I could feel myself floating above my body, and I watched everything. I saw the young orderly with red hair come in from the room next door and do CPR, and I saw you push him out of the way. I saw him stumble as you pushed him. Then I saw you have my attending internist paged, and you kept looking at the door waiting for him to enter. My grandmother, who passed away years before, came to me and told me to be more kind and loving. She said it wasn't my time, and I returned to my body when you started to do CPR. Well, the doctor would later write, I saw Mary back in the office several times after that, and each time she was the most loving and considerate person I can imagine. Her near-death experience and her conversation with her deceased grandmother gave her a new outlook on life. She became a joy to her widowed father and to everyone she met. Now, you and I may not see our grandmothers after they've passed, and it's likely we won't ever receive CPR bringing us back to life. But we all need a little CPR to bring light into our life now and then. And we all need a little light from good people around us. And like Mary, with a fresh perspective, we can leave the dark behind in our life and become more light-filled and no longer hide our light but share it with others. And I believe there is a source of light for all of us. And I believe that God has shared that message with you and me. Seek goodness. Come closer to the source of light. Seek to share your light with others. Be believing. Don't shine for yourself, but for the benefit of others. Verbalize what you love. Seek more of what you love and anchor your life in the source of light. And watch. You will come to be the person that you can and should become. Most of all, thanks for joining us today. 
And I look forward to being with you again as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.